We've all done it before. Quit a job when it was time to move on. Maybe the working conditions weren't ideal, you've outgrown the job, or the commute just sucked. And for many, maybe they had a boss or colleague from hell. I've mentioned in previous podcast episodes and blog posts that I truly loved the job that I worked before going into business myself. I worked with international students, adults ranging in ages from 17 to 65 years old, learning English as a second language. It was a fantastic job. I loved my colleagues, many of whom I'm still in touch with today, and the students, many of whom I'm still in touch with. But there were some friction points. Some were organizational, some because of where I physically lived in terms of proximity to the job, and other friction points created by staffing changeovers. So when it was time to quit a job that I was deeply invested in for many years at an organization where people typically work their entire career, it wasn't done lightly. I had colleagues who started working at the organization the year I was born. So when I say that I've been fascinated by the conversation around employees opting to quit working at Twitter, I have so many thoughts. And the first one is, why are people upset that people quit working at Twitter? It makes no sense. Welcome to Michelle is Money Hungry. I'm your host, Michelle Jackson, and I focus on holding financial conversations that lean into social equity, policy, and access with a splash of pop culture. My goal is to lead these conversations with empathy and help both my listeners and myself learn more about money along the way. us who are regular users of Twitter, we're very aware of what's going on with the changeover with the new owner. It has been, quite honestly, as a passionate user of the space, very sad and quite frankly distressing to watch. Not just from the perspective as a user of the platform, but just from the perspective of being an employee in a past life or a current one. There's nothing worse than dealing with sudden and abrupt upheaval in the workplace. It's literally the last place you want to be unnecessarily stressed the fuck out. I don't know about you, but when I go to work at a nine to five, I just want to go get my work done, avoid eating at the potlucks and get paid. Ideally, your job is intellectually stimulating and you don't have to work with too many douches. Really, that's it. And you get paid on time. Hopefully there's some opportunity for advancement and you get solid benefits. And the most important thing, hopefully you're getting paid well, compensated for whatever it is you're doing. If those basic work needs are met, usually a person will work at their job for a while. In my case, I had fantastic benefits. I paid $50 a month for health insurance. I had a state retirement, the opportunity to study for free up to nine college credits a year because I worked at a college. That's how I continued studying Spanish. I literally took Spanish classes during my work hours because I had that benefit for free. I would go hiking during my lunch hours or go to hot yoga. 
but some points of friction started to show up. And oh, by the way, by the time I ended working at the university, I had accumulated nine weeks of PTO, like I couldn't use it enough. So I was doing study abroad programs up to three weeks. I went to Argentina, to Buenos Aires for one, and I went to Amiens, France for the other one in different years. This was a good job. But again, some points of friction began to show up. My commute. I was living in Denver and commuting back to Boulder. Now, when I was a little girl, that drive was around 20 to 30 minutes. It was not a big deal. But towards the end stages of me working at the university, it was actually taking two hours each way because of construction and an explosion of traffic due to population growth in the Denver metro area. The work on the highway took several years and was completed around the time that I quit. Ironically, it's now one of the best sections of highway in the state now. If I'm driving, I love that stretch of road. I should also mention during that time, I wasn't driving. I was taking the bus, which was super comfortable. I had an eco pass, which was a free transit pass. That was a, a benefit. It was wonderful. And so myself and tons of other regular employees regularly took the bus back and forth and we would get on there. People would do work. They would nap. And it was the same people for years years and years because they enjoyed their jobs, but it was like the price we had to pay working here in America. Anyway, friction points, colleagues, the role of director was obviously the key role in the organization. The director was our boss and we had three different sets of directors during my time in that department. I also had a colleague who was very, very stressful to work with, very difficult. She would ignore me when I spoke both in meetings and outside of meetings. So we had to work together and she would literally on a daily basis all day long, ignore me. She couldn't stand me for many reasons. And yes, one of them is the one you're thinking. She would roll her eyes when I said anything, avoid walking near me if she saw me in the hallway. It was basically a racist bitch. Now, I should say that she was also a bitch, like just a bitch in general to other people. For me, though, she was a racist bitch. She behaved like this to varying degrees with a lot of people across campus. But can you imagine working in the office next to someone who literally couldn't stand to be in your space and you'd done nothing to them? I did nothing to this lady. I just went to work. I just went to work. I worked really hard. I grew my position. I hustled. Our jobs were not connected in any other way. Like her tasks were completely different from what I did. I did immigration-based work. She had nothing to do with that. She just was a racist bitch. Professional growth. Basically, the problem with my role was I would always have lateral advancement within the organization versus moving up. This also became a huge issue for me. I'd done so much work for the organization and I just felt like I would never be fully compensated in terms of professional opportunities and pay. Like there was just a, a point where it just, it just was not, the return wasn't there. That was enough friction that eventually I just, I had to leave. Despite the fact that the organization's mission was still the same, my colleagues were still the same. I had great benefits. I loved the people I worked with. There was a breaking point. Twitter employees hit their breaking point. 
I am not surprised what happened at Twitter. When your boss shows you who they are, believe them the first time. Their new boss is currently having to pay a $130 million payout to a former black Tesla employee who successfully sued on the basis of discrimination in the workplace. Successfully sued, $130 million. They were awarded. But then you have the disarray in the year leading up to finalizing the Twitter purchase. Believe me, employees were paying attention. I am 100% sure that a large percentage of these people were preparing to leave the entire year and just hoping that they wouldn't have to. I think they were just hope that, like waiting and seeing and hoping that maybe Lonnie would pull out of the deal as he was trying to. Like they were just hoping. I'm sure that they were banking their cash, getting their finances in order, and crossing their fingers that this wouldn't happen. So when they were given the ultimatum to stay versus work after firings during the first and second weeks, they walked out the door. Reportedly, around 1,200 employees said bye through the peace sign and walked out the door when offered the choice of hardcore versus the organizational culture that they had invested years into. Those employees were wise to do this because the majority got three months severance and a few other things on, out the door. And then folks who stayed were also fired and given worse benefits. What surprised me about all of this was that people everywhere, not me, but there were people who got angry with the workers who quit. Ironically, I saw a lot of tweets that said the following. I can't believe they quit. Don't they want to work with Lonnie? He's the richest man in the world. He's genius. There's going to be a recession. They're dumb to quit. Those workers were lazy. So what that Lonnie wants them to work hardcore? Around 75% of American workers work in at-will employment situations. Just as an employer isn't obligated to keep employees, workers can peace out. They can opt out of a situation that isn't serving them well. There are three exceptions to this in the Twitter situation. With the exception of employees on work visas, such as the H-1B, which is something that's important to bring up, employees needing the medical coverage and folks just truly needing the cash, I don't see why anyone would have opted to stay dealing with that bullshit. Brand culture and mission had completely changed. Trust was impacted in so many ways. Folks who opted to stay after the initial offer ended up getting fired anyway and receiving a worse outgoing benefits package. Business revenue has dropped by around 50% in terms of advertisers rethinking their marketing strategies and reallocating their funds, their marketing funds elsewhere. There are companies that are like, we don't want to deal with this. We have to sustain a certain level of quality in terms of who we deal with. And our customers demand that of us. And we cannot advertise here. From a job security standpoint, that loss of revenue specifically would be what would freak me out the most. How will this company have the funds to pay me? And real talk, I used to work for a small retailer locally. And this was when I was so, so freaking broke. I was so broke that year and I'm working like two side hustles. And this was one of them. And this little retailer, little clothing store, she would float. It was me and another girl. And what we figured out 
and we figured this out the hard way was she had no money coming in. Now we thought it was weird because it didn't seem like the store was busy. Like it, it, there were some, some clues, but she would float the checks and the girl, not me, the other girl, her check bounced from the store and it was just disastrous because she really needed that money. And for me, like this is the biggest red flag for anyone in that organization is when major sponsors, marketing partners pull out at the numbers that are pulling out, this is a problem. How am I going to get paid is my question. And then finally, fascism. I said what I said. I'm not pussyfooting around that anymore. I haven't been for a while. I haven't been for several years, but this is, we just need to say what it is. Workers have become empowered. Here's the thing. The last couple of years have taught us the following. If possible, build up a fuck you fund. I'm sure that there were several folks at Twitter, a lot of people who had conversations around this, who were like, I don't know what's going on with this. I, I don't, I don't trust it. And remember, these were people making a lot of money. It's not like they were making, you know, small amounts of money. These people were well compensated. I don't know how many times people need to hear this. A company will replace you even if you've done nothing wrong. I'll never forget the story that one of my friends who works in HR, human resources, shared with us shared with a group of us. They said that a great employee was let go at their organization after 20, 20 plus years of doing a great job. Super loyal, super great job. They were wonderful. And the reason why was because eliminating their wage was a key part of balancing the overall budget for the organization. Had nothing to do with anything. They were great. The employee was shocked and brokenhearted. Like, broke their heart. They had invested so much in this organization. But the thing was, it wasn't personal. He was just a set of numbers. Your number one allegiance at any job ultimately is to yourself. There are other opportunities, even during downtimes, even during recessions. One of the comments that came up a lot in the last couple of weeks was how people were stupid for quitting before a potential recession. Now, I would rather quit and and set up a better situation than wait to be fired and not have good outgoing benefits. So three months of severance versus one month, that seems to be a, a big difference, right? So people have to decide what's the risk they're willing to take. Always have an exit plan. Even if you're in what feels like a super secure situation, think about what you would do in a worst case scenario. And I'm going to go back to have a fuck you fund right? Have a savings account. Save your money. Know how to earn money outside of your nine to five in the event that you have to bridge the financial gap. That could be by doing a side hustle or focusing on a small business idea you've been working on. Have your references ready and keep your LinkedIn profile up to date. Keep track of what you've done for the organization in the role that you're in. Think in terms of the following verbs and scenarios. Saved organization TK thousands of dollars, like save the organization $100,000. Like organizations love that. Made the organization $1 million. Proactively upgraded core logistics services. Like think about what you've done within the context of your role and keep your resume up to date. Canva has some great resume templates, by the way. Some final thought. I'm wondering why the immediate assumption was that Twitter employees weren't working hard. 
Why would anyone be excited to go from work from home to 80 hour work weeks, including commutes? Like, does that even make sense to you? (laughs) People do have lives outside of work, child care arrangements, helping parents, volunteer work, pets, or going to dance class or working on a certificate in order to up-level one's career. So if you have a boss who comes in, and it's like, okay, in a week, you need to you know, go from work from home to working 80 hour weeks in office. That doesn't make sense. You can't even make the arrangements to deal with any of those scenarios that I just described. And anyone who's like, yeah, you can, you're full of shit. I don't even have kids and know that you're full of shit. The kid one alone, you cannot just drop your kids off randomly somewhere if you've been keeping them in the house with you for the last two or three years, it doesn't work like that. Kids all have RSV right now. They're all sick. Just the logistics of the request doesn't make sense. Ugh. And I'm going to be honest, it's very clear that Twitter as a company had a very vibrant and impactful company culture that employees bought into and really cared about and contributed to. And that one thing alone, this would break my heart if I were in that team and this is now what it's all about. I'm not saying, by the way, that businesses shouldn't downsize or won't. Of course they will. I'm not saying that the workforce at Twitter actually wasn't bloated. I'm saying that employees do not have to deal with this type of treatment. We're not slaves. And four states passed initiatives in 2022 outlawing slavery. Who knows what will happen with Twitter? All I know is that the brand has been forever tainted for me and it's a lesson learned. Always cover your ass because you never know what's going to happen next. By that, what I mean is always cover your ass financially. 